Hilton Hotels is a world-renowned, award-winning hotel chain known for their first-class amenities, authentic hospitality, and top-of-the-line commitment to your comfortable stay. The name Hilton has become synonymous with hotel. But did you know about Hilton's commitment to our military and its veterans? Did you? I didn't. To be honest, before this relationship unfolded, I did not know. Through Operation Opportunity, whose motto is, Our Mission is Your Success, Hilton Hotels has been able to hire 30,000 veterans, military spouses, and dependents since 2013 with a commitment to hire 25,000, that's right, 25,000 more by the end of 2025. Wow, wow, wow. What a commitment. To learn more about Hilton's military programs, check out Operation Opportunity at jobs.hilton.com backslash military guys i'll be the first to tell you staying in the hatchback uh sleeping on the road scion tc starving artist that might have looked cool cramp my style massively i definitely appreciate having an award-winning breakfast high-speed internet and a comfortable bed it makes my job so much easier with the already stressful work that these projects are blessed uh, that I get to do them, but it is hard work. So I'm thankful for Hilton. I appreciate them a lot. Go check out Operation Opportunity, jobs.hilton.com backslash military. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Tim K here, founder of the Veterans Project, founder of the Caregiver Project, and host of the Veterans Project podcast. With me on this episode of the podcast is a legend of the Vietnam War who served in the United States Army's famed 1st Cavalry Division in a position he couldn't have even imagined for himself. An OJT or on-the-job training door gunner on a Huey gunship. Some, including Johnny, will tell you that the lifespan of a door gunner in Vietnam was right around six seconds. Regardless of whether or not this is the factual decided lifespan, one thing is for certain. My feelings are that Vietnam was the cauldron and the door gunner position was to be thrown into the fire under that cauldron. On top of not receiving the allotted technical flight training pre-deployment, the dangers that Johnny faced from the air varied anywhere from technical malfunctions to pilot error to enemy artillery and small arms fire. Couple that with the fact that Johnny's missions fluctuated from mop-up duty to mail carrier for the frontline troops to carrying the precious cargo of America's infantry on night and day missions, and you have an almost certain recipe for terror. The elements were constantly changing, and the enemy maintained a ferocious approach. But Hub's dedication to his duty and fierce focus from the air served him well, and he completed his time in Vietnam, only to come home to a country that was torn from within. The mere presence of Johnny served as a reminder of a tumultuous time Americans wanted to leave in the past, and they would make him feel this the instant he stepped on U.S. soil. Although we certainly did spend some time talking about combat, you know, most of this podcast remains true to our core mission in the discussion of reintegration, something that challenged Johnny mightily for decades after the war. This podcast is important. It's the first in a series of hopefully many episodes with those who served in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. And I just want to say to those men, I'm so proud of you. I'm thankful for your service, Johnny. And I'm thankful for your brothers who fought in a conflict that many ran from and many rioted against. You answered the call of your nation, even when that nation turned its back on you. We are forever in your debt, and frankly, I believe that our almost celebrity-like treatment nowadays is due to the fact that you came before us. This podcast is dedicated to all those hard chargers who endured the hellish conditions of those Vietnam jungles only to return to an ungrateful country. To those men, I say, may you find peace in your hearts and souls 
and realize your younger brothers of the global war on terror love you mightily. Thank you for your service, and most importantly, welcome home. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay, and I'm your host as always. Here with me is Johnny Hubs. Um, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to have you here with me. And um, when I saw the movie Stack Deck, your your film that G and Jesse did on you, I was just blown away uh, by by you as a man. And the emotion of it was the strongest thing about it. I mean, the emotion they really captured well. Thanks for being here, Johnny. We appreciate you. Well, I appreciate it. I uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Johnny, let's uh, let's go back through your life a little bit and talk about how you grew up. Um, obviously, with this, it's a it's an essay. So, we want to talk about you know everything that led to you know joining the military and why you decided to do that. But kind of wanted to know a little bit how you grew up and where you're from. Well, I grew up with a military family. My father was the in the United States Air Force in Korea. We were. He was stationed at Travis Air Force Base back in the 1960s. And, well, 1963, of course, we all know what happened in 1963 with JFK. Right. was assassinated. Then my dad was uh, stationed in England, and he asked um, my mother if she wanted to come with him or go to her folks living here in San Antonio, Texas. Mm. She decided to come here to San Antonio, Texas. So. And that that's pretty much the way it, it uh, played out. Yeah. What do you remember about growing up? What what kind of led you? Because obviously you had a path that led you, you know, to into the military. What do you remember about your parents that really stuck with you? You know, I'm, I'm sure there are a bunch of things, but what do you remember most? Well, one thing, you know, like I said, my dad was in the United States Air Force. He was a camera tech and a photographer. He took care of... Uh, all the cameras that went on the aircraft in the Korean War. Uh, he served in the Korean War and, and, and did all that he could as a photographer and a camera tech to take care of the cameras, make sure they're all full with film uh, before they take off on their missions. You know, and then when they got back off their missions, he'd take the film out and develop it for review. Uh, of the big shots <laughs> that we're reviewing now that, you know, where all the enemy was. So, you know, and he, he took me to the uh, the dark room, so to speak, there on the Air Force Base. And I'd, I'd go visit, you know, and I'd see what he did and all that. So it, it kind of rubbed off on me. I, I Kind of an amateur photographer myself. Oh, you're uh, good. I've seen your stuff. Yeah, yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, it, it, it just uh, worked out that way. And, uh, and on my mom's side, uh, she had five brothers, and they all went and served during World War II. Okay. Um, wow. All five brothers went to war. All five brothers came back. Wow. Not many so, families could say that. I tell you, that's, uh, it was awesome. You know, it, it kind of, everything rubbed off. Yeah. Do you so, remember them really well? Do you remember I do. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they were, they were yeah, instrumental in, in me growing up. You know, they were good uncles, great mm. uncles, and I, I loved them. 
they all lived until their 80s, pretty much all of them. Wow. So, did you ever talk with them about their experiences, or did they were they pretty quiet about that? Yeah, pretty quiet. Yeah, not a one out of five. That's did interesting. Did they ever talk about it? That's really interesting. Uh, even when I got back from Vietnam, wow, um, just kind of quiet about they, it. They were real quiet about it. So, and even my dad, he never talked about the Korean War. Yeah, wow. That's interesting how that goes because experientially for me, when I've been doing the project, I found like it takes a while for the guys to open up if they ever do, you know, and I found that with Vietnam is, I think when I started this project about five years ago, I asked a couple, you know, I had a couple references that were shot out to me on Vietnam guys and I went to them and they immediately just told me, no, I was like, oh, I, I thought, I thought that they were open to talk and I went to them and they were almost seemed insulted and of course i didn't take it personally at all you know i realized you know hey if you don't want to talk about it i don't, I don't want you to talk about it because you know it, it takes a willing participant to make this work what it is so but but there's definitely there's definitely something with the vietnam veterans especially i've noticed and a lot of that is probably because your country made you feel ashamed in a lot of ways for for what you did for what you did in your duty which to me is disgusting um, and it makes me sad. Uh, and this is partly why we get out here and tell these stories so that we can make up for, you know, all those years where we didn't. So what what about them do you remember being so instrumental in your life? I know they didn't talk about the experiences, but I'm sure they were, they were great men. Uh, they were tight. Uh, as a family, they were all tight. You know, they had their days. Uh, but they were proud. Yeah. They were proud. They were. They were a proud Italian family. Yeah. I went and did their patriotic duty to serve for the United States of America in World War II. Uh, my grandfather, Joseph Tallarico, was very proud of them. And, you know, and especially they all come back from the war. You know, they all had different services, too. You know, uh, one was Marines, two were Army, Navy. You know, they all wow. went to different services so. yeah lineage but, but yeah it's you powerful know, but uh and you said your mom though your mom had a big impact on you and then how much she loved veterans can you can you talk a little bit about her and what you remember of her well you know about uh when i was in the 11th grade i decided that uh i wanted to serve i wanted to i wanted to serve my country and uh, i asked my mom i said you know would you sign for me if i was to join uh, and she said, well, uh, yeah and no. <laughs> <laughs> How moms well, do, said, yes on, and no mom. at the same time. <laughs> so, you know, it was, you know, my dad was over there, and, and, and I was pretty much the man of the family, so to speak, here. So, uh, it, you know, it was very important that um, I had her okay, because that was the only way I was going to get in the military at 17 years old. And I still didn't have a GED. I didn't finish uh, high school, so, you know. Uh, I was asking a lot, but I just, I wanted to help and I wanted to bring more money into the family and, but I wanted to serve my country. That, you know, that, that was big on me. And still that sense I, of duty. Exactly. Yeah. And I still have that yeah. today. I still feel the same way. That's and uh, and finally, you know, tried to get in the air force. Mm -hmm. The air force wouldn't take me. They didn't have a GED. I was young. Yeah. The Navy, same way. 
Air Force doesn't take a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. They They're very that. picky with their standards, yeah, unlike are. the Army. They, they, they are. And the Army. He's, the Army's like, are you alive? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can serve. <laughs> but actually, they said, well, you don't have a GED, so mm, okay. uh, the only way we're going to let you in is if you volunteer draft. Okay. Well, a draft was only two years mm. instead of three-year hitch. Okay. So, But I volunteered, and uh, they took me on August 6th. 1970, I took the oath, and never forget the oath. It never goes away. It's uh, drilled in you and uh, everlasting till you die. It's not going to go away. What do you remember about that time in our country? Obviously, it was pretty tumultuous, but you know, you were in Texas. Uh, what was the climate like here during that time? Do you remember? <sighs> I mean, I know you were young, but... Yeah, yeah. You know, it was... Uh, just a lot going on, you know, just people protesting in the streets and this, that, and the other for one reason or the other. It was, you know, it, it still, to me, it was like the 60s. I mean, it was 1970. I mean, come on, 1968, yeah. 1969, right. 70. It's still. Yeah. So growing up. And uh, so, you know, here we go. And I got on the plane. That's the first time I've been on a plane. And Wow. Yeah. Uh, Went to Fort Leonardwood, Missouri to mm. take boot camp. Wow. And you trained up to particularly to be a door gunner. Did you join for that? No. No, I didn't. Okay. Actually, when I got in, I uh, they wanted me to be a lineman for the county. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I am a lineman for the county. <laughs> well, anyway. It's uh, not a good podcast yeah, if we don't have the guests yeah. sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, singing was not my good trick. No, it sounds good to me, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, what happened is uh, I took the training there. I finished boot camp, and then I had to stay another four, week, four weeks there at Fort Leonard, Missouri. And uh, to take that four weeks of lineman training, and then from the lineman training, they sent me to Fort Gordon, Georgia, and uh, that was another, God, four weeks. So it was pretty much, I think it was eight-week training, and uh, it was everything from stringing combo wire, working on the telephone poles to uh, just <laughs> tying knots. You believe you, you wouldn't believe how many knots. They use in lineman course. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like you were in the Navy for a second. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what am I I doing thought, here? yeah really. <laughs> but uh, then after that, uh, they shipped me to. Oh well, it was in Germany. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was right outside Frankfurt. Okay. God, I can't remember that right now. But anyway, I I stayed there, and when I turned eighteen. I put in a 1049. I like Germany and everything, but uh, I wanted to go serve in Vietnam. Mm, wow. It, just, uh, it was just calling, I guess. I, I yeah. don't know. It was just something that I felt that, I don't know, I just wanted to. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, you felt you probably felt that, you know, the fact that there was an active combat scenario going on. There's that sense that I've got to do this, you know, or it's like with us even, you know, with Iraq and Afghanistan, it's like, if you don't go to Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, it's like, what were you doing during your time in service? What was that about? Why were you there? And, you know, so I would have, you know, buddies of mine volunteer four, five, six times because they, you know, not only needed that rush, you know, 
but they, they needed to feel like they were a part of something. Exactly. And you can be in the army, you can be in the military and still feel, um, still feel like you're not contributing it enough. Exactly. And I, especially during a time of war. So I, I kind of understand that, you know, I mean, in Vietnam was tough, you know, losing a lot of guys. So that was a very serious decision you made. And you, you probably realized the, did you realize the weight of that? Exactly. <laughs> especially when I got there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you you see, I don't know. First thing you do is you step off that plane and the heat yeah. hits you. Boom. It's like humidity's whoa, whoa. rough, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can definitely feel the heat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whoa, whoa. This is different. <laughs> uh, you know, when I got there, you know, I, I think it was a week, two weeks. You're in Cameron Bay, uh, Vietnam. They orientation, you know, what not to do, what to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, not to get yourself killed. Yeah, stupidly. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but be aware of the girls, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, right, right. but uh, yeah, it, and then okay, well, you're going to uh, the first cavalry division. Wow. So uh, we're sending you to uh, Benoit Air Base right now. Okay. And uh, they shipped me. We flew in a C-130 uh, transport. And I tell you what, man, you, you fly in a C-130, it's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> all you see is all these wiring and fluid lines and everything's showing, you know, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> this man, can't be safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this can't be safe. And it was quite, I forgot how, how, how long that, that flight was. Uh, an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, it finally landed. You know, everything was cool. Yeah, knock on wood and all that good stuff. But we landed there and uh, uh, said, okay, you're going to be uh, trucked over to Long Bend Replacement okay. Depot. Hmm. So we got to Long Bend Replacement Depot and Sergeant come up to me and he said, well, you hubs? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm hubs. He said, well, you're a lineman. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, we don't need anybody out in the jungle stringing comma wire. <laughs> But we'll give you five choices. And one of them happened to be door gunner. Mm. And ever since Cameron Bay, when I first got there, I saw the aircraft going over. And, uh, you know, they, they were flying low level. And I'm looking up and I'm looking at these guys wearing their helmets. And they got their shield down. And, you know, I said, man, that's what I want to do. Hell, yeah, if I can't get in the Air Force, I can, you know, <laughs> my dad would still be happy. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm still flying. Right. I still earn my wings. Yeah, definitely. But um, uh, he said, Door gunner, huh? That's what, yeah. I'd, I'd like to do door gunner, be a door gunner. And he, he said, well, that's, you know, life expectancy. It's only about six seconds. Oh, geez. I think that's what it was. Wow. Uh, it was rough. It, yeah. You know, and uh, I said, well, yeah, you still want to do it? Well, yeah, I, I want to fly. He said, well, not only that, uh, you get flight play. Yeah. Flight mm. pay. Yeah. You get uh, hazardous pay, combat pay. Which you I mean, deserve so, all those. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it wasn't a lot of money back then, you know, but still, you know, you're you're making a little extra there. Right. But one thing I found, there was no place to hide in that helicopter, <laughs> and you didn't no. get parachutes. No. So. so if you go down, yeah, you're probably yeah, not going to yeah, make it. Yeah, yeah, well. Uh, not, a lot of yeah. those guys were going down. Yeah. They were. What do you remember about stepping into that position? I mean, were there nerves when you signed up for that? Did you feel nervous about it, or was there, you know? No, any, not no? at all. No, wow. no. It was, it was. Uh, I can't wait. 
I can't, you know, I can't wait. You yeah. know, it was a new job. Uh, see, when I was in Germany as a lineman, I got a uh, 1970 Dodge Ram pickup, and that's I go around to all the concerns in different cities in Germany to feel, uh, fix all their feel, their phones and telephone lines and this, that, and the other. Well, the one thing there was not is wood poles. Mm. They were all cement poles because of the weather and the climate there. They didn't want to rot, so they made them all cement poles or metal poles. Mm. So there wasn't a lot of that anyway. So, But, yeah, so uh, it took me about two weeks to get flight clearance. And I went to the 229th Assault Helicopter Battalion, 1st Air Cab Division, mm. Air Mobile. Wow. And Benoit. And uh, I guess it was two weeks, and I got my flight clearance, and uh, – uh, they said a okay and uh, gave me my flight gear, flight helmet, flight gloves, and flight uniform. And uh, <laughs> like I told uh, Guido <laughs> from Fox, yeah, uh, I was OJT. Yeah, wow, it was OJT. It was. Nobody ever put you in a helicopter unless you wanted to be in one. Right. They never did that. The Army didn't do that. They they didn't want you if you didn't want to fly. Right. Yeah. Wow. So what was it like going up there for the first time, being up in the air? You know, being it, over it, Vietnam? it was awesome. I said, Wow, this this is this is gonna be uh this is gonna be great. I like I liked it. Yeah. You know, it was you know, we had doors, and then we had not doors. <laughs> it depends, you know. For one thing, the doors just created more weight. Yeah. And we were a transport helicopter unit, mm. and we transported the grunts, the infantrymen, into the jungles. Wow. Picked them up. Yeah. Resupplied them. Whatever they needed, we were there for them. Yeah. We never left a man in the field. That's awesome. We're always there for him. We're one call away, 15 minutes away, tops. Mm. So and we could be out there in that jungle taking whatever they needed in a heartbeat. Were were any of those missions more tough, particularly than others? Do you remember, you know, do you remember all of them kind of, you know, seeming together? Do you know, did you did they feel seamless? Or do you remember some that, you know, maybe didn't go the way you wanted them to, or they felt more dynamic than the other ones? Well, yeah, the, you know, every mission was different. Uh, they had Ash and Trash was, Ash and Trash was just uh, so-called what they, they called it as taking things to the fire bases and maybe mail. Hmm. Well, to me, Ash and Trash, that wasn't Ash and Trash. That was important to them guys in the field. Right. Man, you bring mail to them, they were... That's shoot, morale. That's oh, morale. It's morale booster, yeah. big time. Or it could be Jerry John letter, and that wasn't cool either, no. but, uh, you know... It's important either yeah, way. Yeah, it was important either way for them to have that. So, But that's what they called it, uh, ash and trash. And uh, you had uh, combat assaults where you take the uh, whole unit, the whole company, maybe, you know, two companies. Mainly, you know, you take a company out and... You put them in an LZ, and you know maybe it's just one 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 ship LZ. Yeah. Where they, you know, they blow an LZO, boom. Yeah. You come in there one ship at a time. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the rest of the guys at, man? Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, sometimes it'd be five ships at a time. 
And that's a big ass LZ now. Did you ever look at those guys and they're getting in and just, you know, as they were, yeah, you know, I'm getting to it. Yeah. Very good point. When they were getting in, that was one look. When they were getting off, that was another look. But I think the one that stuck with me the most is when they got on that aircraft. That was a that was a look you could never forget. I don't know how to explain it. You, you know, I I know that they're proud to get out of there, but you could see that uh, thousand yard stare on their faces instead of smiling and being happy to get on that aircraft. There was a sad look to it. Yeah. Their eyes. You probably never forget that. Never will. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, you it's, don't want to. There's a strength in that. There's a there's a solemnity and understanding. Few people understand that, you know, unless you've gone to combat, of how important it is to keep some of those tougher memories as well, you know, because that's evidence of the sacrifice that we make in going there and, and being in that in that service. You know, it's a tough thing, but it's something we want to carry. We don't want others to have to carry, you know, and I'm sure you feel the same way. You're probably proud to carry that, but wouldn't want anybody else to have to. And if they do, I hope that they learn from us. Yeah. Those who are sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the most important thing. So how long were you over there for? Seven and a half months. And how often were you guys going out on missions? I'd go out every day. Every day. I, I was what they call a, a floating door gunner. Wow. I flew with whatever ship, whatever helicopter. And can, can you, I'm sorry to cut you off, but can you explain OJT to those that may not know it? OJT, uh, on the job training. <laughs> 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 and, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's Army's way of saying we're yeah, throwing you into yeah, the fire. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really. You know, but uh, uh, OJT and was, you know, it's, you're going to learn, you know, and it was, uh, what can I say? I was uh, I started becoming a damn good gunner. Uh, I learned real quick what not to do and what to do. My job was to take care of that aircraft and my crew, whatever way yeah. I could. And was, was it hard being on the gun? Was it tough? Was it tough when you were first learning, or did you did you catch on pretty no, quickly? No, I caught on pretty quick. Yeah, lead them. <laughs> if they're running, lead them. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I somehow knew that was coming up. <laughs> well, especially when you're doing uh, ninety knots up there in the air, yeah, yeah. two or three hundred feet, or even higher, and you know, people don't think about the complexity of that shooting. It is very tough. You know, is, there's yeah. a lot. Just like a sniper, you know, you got to think a lot about your lead. You got to think about. You know, the, yeah. the even the atmospheric, you know, what's going on with the weather and all that. And there's a lot of humidity in Vietnam. And so, obviously, that impacts the round. Sure. And, you know, you of course, with automatic, it's a little different. But, you know, you're dealing with, you know, a lot of different factors, yep. right? Yep. And that's all OJT on the job training. Yeah, you know? thank God for tracers. <laughs> <laughs> did, now, did you go out? Did you go out at night? Did you have night missions as well? We did. We yeah. called them Nighthawk. Mm, okay. And, uh I think it was four, five, C-130 landing lights. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that C-130 landing yes. light. It's pretty, pretty damn bright. Yeah. And you stick about four or five of them 
you know, and it, it's it's on a tray here. When you, you flip the switch on that, I think it's 24 volt. Okay. Uh, whoa. And it lights up the night. <laughs> <laughs> did you like any missions more in particular? Did you enjoy? I like Nighthawk. <laughs> yeah, did you? Yeah. NBA and the VC always said that they own the night. Both did, you know. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Uh, you, we own the technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, that's one thing they didn't have too much of as, as much as we did really right the technology just wasn't there as much as it was for us we're always the most tech forward <laughs> which is exactly good. yeah which is good at nighttime <laughs> and a lot of it was uh learning as you go these tech guys you know and armor they them guys boy they come up with a lot of improvised things that they would do and weld this and that Man, they you know they they did a lot of good stuff to help us guys and the, up there flying. So you know it, it was all learning for us. Like I said, the mission I volunteered for every mission that needed helicopter needed the fourth crew member or second door gunner, and uh, therefore I got to fly a hell of a lot. I think I got uh, what is it four hundred and eighty hours. In seven and a half months flying, um, uh, and, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. I, I, I wouldn't trade uh, flying for any job in the military. I loved it. And you were pretty fortunate uh, to be over there and get out unscathed. I mean, that's rare. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where were you guys at in particular in Vietnam? Were you just rolling all around the countryside or no, we a particular were, sector? Yeah, at that time in the 70s, uh, we were in three corps, Benoit. Army base and the first cab Air Mobile was right there, and it was a bunch of other units that were attached to us and a third brigade, uh, separate, because you know a lot of the cab they left in 1970s, and they left behind the third brigade separate, and what they created was a the task force Gary Owens. We had a lot of different units attached to Gary Owens. We had the largest AO in the army to patrol it was 3500 square miles to patrol and and uh you know uh we still had uh american infantry grunts out in the field certain areas but not so far out and still there was a, a lot of ao to to patrol it is it is so but shit really hit the fan in 72 march of 30th 1972 it all hit the fan I forgot how many brigades come. NBA, hardcore army came across them borders. And tanks, anti-aircraft. I mean, gee, man. We never seen anything like that. Did you notice a change in the dynamic while you were there during your time? Yeah, very much so. At one point, they wanted us to wear a gas mask. Well, you should have seen the pilots trying to fly with a damn gas mask on. was not not a good thing, but they, they were... Afraid that gas was going to be used, and that wouldn't—I would, geez, you know—you're talking about pilots that need their eyes and door gunners that need their eyes. That ain't going to work. You know, we'd be crashing against each other, crashing into one another. But uh, uh, that only lasted for one day, and the gas masks went out the doors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That wasn't going to work. No so, more of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it got pretty hectic. We had the hybrid, which flies. God, anywhere from thirty-five to five thousand feet above everybody of the flight. A flight could be five, uh, ten, 
20 helicopters at a time. Uh, what they're doing is up there monitoring everything and making sure everything's running correctly and what uh, they can do to, to make things better for the flight. So uh, our colonel, one of the colonels got shot on uh, an aircraft, 51 caliber. It was radar controlled and came up through the bubble of the right seat, I think it was. And there's a, uh, a pull butt plate. Uh, I can't remember what the hell. But anyway, it, it, it ricocheted off of that and ricocheted back at him. And while he was flying, he was flying and his hit him in the wrist. So that was that was bad. So the next thing on the radio was the colonel's been hit, go down low level. So the flight was, you know, I don't think uh, we were 3,000 feet. What we were doing is picking up South Vietnamese. We were f- picking up the South Vietnamese and transporting them to a place called Anlock. Anlock was the main place at so that everybody was going because that was a where all the NBA and South Vietnamese, were, I mean, the uh, BC were, were trying to take over. Well, actually, they were taking over every place. I mean, that 1972, they were all over Vietnam. It was a big push, take over South Vietnam. Uh, but we're not worried about what's going on over there in two core, you know, or one core, I core. We're worried and was worried about what's going on in our three core, and it was pretty because it was pretty pretty dangerous stuff going on there. Uh, so they made us go low level, and we were picking up sorties uh, one right after the other. Boom, we're taking them to a soccer field in the middle of uh, Anlock, and it got pretty hairy. Uh, I remember uh, at one point. Once we, we, we drop them off, and this is all low level. You're coming in. You're, 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 you know, the jungle floor is, uh, canopy is up anywhere from 75 to 100 feet tree lines, you know. So you're flying 100 feet, 125 feet above these trees. You're right over the canopy. So it's pretty hard for the enemy to lock onto you because they can hear you. But by the time you haul ass, passed over them you know they can't really lock in on you you're below that radar. yeah and yeah the radar is is no use for them uh i remember we had just dropped off some sorties uh coming out of the 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 lz we were flying low level to go pick up more look down and uh there was a tank and it was they were doing like this coming at us you know they're turning the the turnic turret i think uh was a T fifty four tanks. Okay, and they were it's like Soviet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they were Soviet made. Yeah, of course. Uh, China and Russia is giving them all this down to fight Americans. Yeah, people that, don't uh, realize. People don't, you know, remember how real that you know communism was. You know how much yeah, of a yeah. effort that was. You know, and how much there was going on. You know, uh, from the Russian and Chinese side. You know, with China even importing fighters. You know, into the areas. A lot of people don't realize that. There was a lot of that going on and very few, you know, I think nowadays now that, you know, we're kind of so far removed from it all, we forget the real threat of that, you know, and the existence of that. So it's easy to question, you know, moves made back then from, you know, kind of our glass houses now, you know, but communism was a very real threat. Yes. <laughs> and you remember. And yeah. And you yeah, were there. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it was. And, uh, you know what, uh, what really is sad is to see that uh, anybody would want that in America. 
And, you know, all you got to do is look around and listen. And if it ain't socialism, it's communism they want to start in this country. Not going to happen. There's a lot of a lot of veterans, and not just Vietnam veterans. There's a lot of veterans in this country that would not let that happen in the United States of America. Wake up, honey. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. So, Especially not here in Texas. No, 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 no. Not as long as we're breathing, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Especially in Texas. <laughs> we're still a republic, remember that. <laughs> we like to remind people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, what was the feeling for you? You know, you, you're a young door gunner. You're probably not thinking about the political implications too much of what you're doing. But how did you, did you feel like... Like we were winning the war? Did you feel like things were going well? How did you feel? Or did you even think about that when you were up there? Was it just mission first and do what you had yeah, to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my, that was our primary mission. Our mission was take care of the guys in the field. And those guys in the jungle was that was the number one mission. That's the only reason we were in the air is for those guys. And we were flying above the best and the best was down there. At what point were you were you pretty comfortable the whole time that you were there? Did you feel pretty comfortable in there? By the time I bet you get to you know closer to month seven, you've probably developed a pretty good routine, you know, and you were pretty used to. Yeah, yeah. until yeah, until the, that uh, April of uh, seventy two and Anlock, and you know, you were talking about a lot of brigades of NBA. Coming across that border, you're talking 22,000 NBA hardcore regulars coming across there with everything they got. I mean, you're talking about anti-aircraft guns, uh, 37 millimeters. Uh, you're talking about uh, the tanks, and there are two different types of tanks and tracks, uh, you know, and everybody was helping out. The Air Force was there. They were coming in and bombing runs, and we had our, our helicopter gunships, uh, AH-1s, gunships coming in, Cobras. They were coming in and doing their numbers. Uh, in fact, they were the ones that took out the first tanks, was the uh, helicopter Cobra gunship. Uh, and they had the uh, tank killers, uh, some rounds that they started using, and boom, boom, boom. They started taking tanks out. You know, what they were finding uh, was the NVA was chaining their men to the tanks, the drivers, so they couldn't run away. Wow. They couldn't go they AWOL. Were chaining they, them they were chaining to, them to the, tanks. to the tanks. Yeah. So they Well, if you want to know who's on the good side, you only have to take a look at yeah. <laughs> yeah, We no, don't chain our yeah, men. To no, tanks. we don't chain them. Yeah. <laughs> God, man. We might push yeah. you to serve, but we're not chaining you to our tanks. That, that was that was uh wow. pretty awesome stuff when I heard that announced. But uh yeah, it's you know the lack uh, of respect for human life in something like that, and you know, amongst um, those who are seeking an ideology as their main means of, you know, life, communism. You know, you see that chaining men to tanks to make them stick into battle. That's to, it. You know, to make them have that pride. Yeah, is incredible. Chaining men to tanks, just treating them with the, you know, such little regard for human life is just disgusting. I, I mean, I can't imagine. You know. But you you saw that firsthand being over there. It yeah. was what uh, the ones on the ground were telling you. Yeah, and working their way up to us, and they're flying over it. So. Right. Yeah. But yeah. you knew that was going on. You knew you knew the treatment of you know of how communism was impacting. Sure, those it was whatever at all costs. Well, yeah, they, you know, they 
they just want to win. That's yeah. their main goal is to And they'll do control. anything with it. Women and children. Of course. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot about this with guerrilla warfare because we face a lot of that type of, you know, war, which there's nothing inherently wrong with guerrilla. It's just when it starts to involve women and children that it becomes really of course. a problem. But you notice that a lot in Afghanistan with these ideologies, Iraq, you wow. know, that same kind of thing with, you know, religious fervor being so hot that you'll involve them in children and you know that was going on in vietnam you know and and we really learned from you and a lot of our tactics you wow. know and wow. how we handle awesome. things yeah. yeah you know because that type of warfare was becoming prevalent then you know it was a type of war we had never really fought and so for you guys what do you think what do you think your greatest lessons were you know during your time as a door gunner being over there and it doesn't have to be on a grand political scale you know it could be anything just day to day you know, it was, I don't know, we, we were we were just, uh, it was a day-by-day learning experience, I guess, for a lot of us, you know, and like I said earlier, you know, you were talking about improvising this, that, and the other, and, 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 and making things work better for us in the field or in the air, so, yeah, <laughs> you know, we learn a lot, yeah. and, and if you don't learn anything from the past, you're doomed then, to repeat it. Yeah, it gets repeated. Right. Uh, and you're going down the going down the wrong road if you don't learn. Yeah, right. It's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you wrapped up. You were over there for seven months, you said. Seven and a half. Yeah, seven and a half. When you got back to the States, what was that? What was it like for you being back here? Huh. <laughs> This is a deep question. This is a deep yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That, 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 I remember coming back and landing in uh, San Francisco. Oh wow! So you landed right in the heat. Right in the heat of it. Yeah, yeah they they were there protesting, and you know I don't like to say that you know they spit on me. You know you hear a lot of that. Well, it never happened. Mm-hmm. You know people say, well, that never happened, and well, it it happened. Yeah, and you know I I, I remember having the protester come up to me and, and, and doing his thing and, and me getting all teed off. You know, I'm in uniform, so there really ain't a damn thing I can do. I'm in the city of the all-night generators, what we called it. Yeah. When we got home, that's what we called it, going to the city of the all-night generator. And, you know, it got to the point where I was so pissed off, and all of a sudden this person's hand went over my shoulder, and I, I looked around. Well, she United States Marine. <laughs> he said, "Let's go, man. Yeah. Come on, it ain't worth it, man. Yeah, it's not worth it at all, bro." Mm-hmm. So we, we we walked our way, and I said, "Where are you going, man?" He said, "Well, I'm going to Dallas." I said, "Well, so am I, man." So the next thing you know, we're uh, we're checking in, and uh, we were on. Uh, oh, God, what they call it. you're on a flight, but you're not on a flight. Like you're a hop? Not, yeah, I, I can't remember what the hell you call it now. I'm lost for words here. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you standby. I'm sorry. Standby. Yeah. Standby, yeah. So we're on standby. So, okay, we, we got aboard this Delta flight, and we're on standby. And said, so, okay, well, you can, you can go on this flight. So we get on board, and, of course, we're way in the back of the aircraft. And... Um, they're loading and and uh, doing their bit, and we're back there talking and everything. And all of a sudden, uh, one of the uh, stewarders come back, said, uh, "You need to follow me." Mm. Uh, said, we're gonna get bumped, man. <laughs> we're gonna have to wait for another flight. Yeah. 
So she gets up there and she said, well, this is your seats. It's first class. Wow. Said, wow. She says, the captain wanted you guys to have this first class seats. Wow. Well, that was awesome. Then. <laughs> you know, I mean. Not expecting it, well, yeah, that not after expecting the treatment in the airport. No, yeah. no, not yeah. expecting it at all. Yeah. So it was a pretty awesome. We sit down. Of course, we, you know, we were just flabbergasted by all this. And it just, uh, it blew us away. Yeah. So, and here we go, man. We're just talking about Nam and Sid and, mm-hmm. and, and doing our thing. And to the flight went pretty quick. And yeah. then we get to Dallas, you know, and. So, uh, you know, this this is where I'm getting off, man. I said, well, I'm going to San Antonio. So, but, hey, nice talking with you, man, and uh, have a good life, you mm-hmm. know. It's, you know, that was the way it was. Nobody kept contact with one another, you know. Why didn't we take each other's mm. phone numbers and addresses and, and stay in contact yeah. with one another? It, it was like in Vietnam. Well, see, not, not, not to get off the subject here, but when I was in Vietnam – I went to fly, find out where I'm flying with, who I'm flying with that day, or what aircraft I'm going to fly with. And he said, "You're not flying today, Hubs." Well, why is that? Because you're going home. Mm. Oh, whoa. Okay. So I'm not going to be able to say bye to anybody. Wow. They're already in the air. Just pack your shit and go. Yeah. That was, was it, it. Was that hard? You it know? was very hard. I mean, losing that all of a sudden. It, it was. It was. <laughs> I, that's unheard know, of nowadays. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't it, happen. I, I couldn't. Yeah. Didn't have anybody's uh you sure the hell didn't have anybody's email address <laughs> <laughs> or phone numbers for that matter i mean you know our addresses right we just never you know knew figured that would happen that way you just never you you worried about one day at a time right yeah that we you never know what the next day is gonna bring you'd be here today and gone tomorrow yeah that fast you know that. Well, I mean, you're talking about, you know, they, they were talking to you about being a door gunner and having a six-second lifespan, you know, when yeah. you get there. And then yeah. and you make it through a tour. Yeah, yeah. not going to win, yeah. Yeah. Did the, Thank God. Did the weight of that hit you when you were going home? You know, realizing like, hey, it I did. made I it. Didn't yeah. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I wanted to stay there <laughs> wow. with my friends. I mean, I, I still had a, I still had a, an oath there. I still had a job to do. Yeah. Why? I didn't want to go home, you know, but... I was thinking because of my uh, MOS that I was a, a lineman, yeah. so you know for the county mm-hmm. that I was going home because I wasn't actually—I don't know how to explain it—but yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. But it wasn't because I was awarded the MOS of door gunner sixty-seven A1F, and after six months, the Army awards you your MOS if you work in that MOS over six months. Yeah, and I did so. Awesome. I was awarded that. We didn't have a combat infantry badge that we earned or anything like that. You know, like the grunts or infantry would would wear. Yeah. Uh, the wings were very important to me, and I did earn those. And even though it's not per se a combat ribbon, I was still proud of them. In the seven and a half months there, I earned uh, twelve air medals. I earned one for valor, uh, the V device. Mm. And earned the Bronze Star. What was that particular action for? Did you? This was this that that action was for directing my fire to the enemy below uh, the tanks, to be exact. That that day, uh, this was April sixth, April seventh mm. of seventy two. Okay, it was pretty hot and heavy there. Yeah. So. That's when you're dealing with that big NBA insurgency. Exactly. Yeah, yeah there were thousands and thousands, 22,000 
Jeez, that's just from one. <laughs> there was such a massive oh, force yeah. there. Oh yeah, massive, massive. Yeah. Do you think we were prepared for that? Do you think we were ready? Uh, well, you know. you know, it was kind of lax there towards the end of the war. Everybody wanted to go home. To be exact, there was only ninety-two thousand Americans left in the Vietnam War mm. during that time. Yeah, that's just, it. Just wasn't enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you're talking about in all cores. That was you're talking about a whole country, and that's why you know we were Vietnamizing the war. Uh, letting them fight their own battles. Yeah. Let them fight the war. We're gonna back our butts out of there and go home. How did you? How did you deal with you know the the transition of coming home? How how was that for you? You know, you talked about you know one of the things that you mentioned a minute ago about that marine uh, in the airport and you know getting on the plane with them and not speaking to him after. I think that's one aspect that you guys really had a tough time with was there was a real there was a real lack of community when you came back, right? Yeah, yeah it wasn't uh, so much. Uh, on the favor of us, though. Right. You know, right. it was pretty much uh, against the war. And, you know, e even the Americans in this country that were veterans, they weren't so much in love with us Vietnam veterans. Yeah. They yeah, did, yeah what know, was that like, the World War II guys? And how, how, well, how did yeah, they treat you? Well, you know, some of them, they, they, you know, and God bless them, mm -hmm. but they looked, some of them looked at us as, you know, we didn't fight a war. It was, it was a police action. That's not a war. Wow. You know, and this was years and years and years later at the VFW out here one time. Wow. They said something to that effect. And I said to him, I said, you know, Commander, we bled the same way as you did. We, our color of the blood is the same as you. And then bullets were firing at us too. Yeah. So don't go there with me. So, you know, that's just, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, though. A lot of people don't think about that. A lot of people think there would be, you know, rampant support from all veterans, especially the World War II guys. But it, you know, it was some, and some didn't. Some had a really difficult time with, you know, supporting you guys. Even the Korean War veterans, see, they got shafted too. Yeah, yeah. It was a short the war. Forgotten war. Yeah, it was a forgotten war. They really, they got the short end of the stick. To be honest with you, and God bless them. I've never had a Korean War veteran ever say anything to me about serving uh, in Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, they look to us as, huh, you, you're the same as us, man. But they probably yeah, see a lot of know, that they, in the lack of, you know, in the lack of real political support, the lack of politicians understanding. It was the same for Korea. Like, you got to go in all guns blazing or not go at all. It's simple as that. Exactly. And when you're not offered that kind of support, those Korean, those Korean War veterans felt that. I mean, lack of food, lack of equipment, exactly freezing yeah, in the valleys, yeah. you know, not having the support, the heating elements. I mean, you're talking about we went into World War II, you know, we geared up as a country. Yeah. And then Korea and Vietnam were kind of just like, all right, let's send some guys over there and fix this thing. I can't do that. It doesn't work that way. And the lack of political support was just, I mean, an understanding. You know, you talked about some of the com command elements like gas masks and things like that and helicopters. Any common sense guy who's in a helicopter knows that's not going to work, but they're not listening to the men on the ground. No, or in the air. Or in the <laughs> air. <laughs> no kidding. You know, they're just, you know I have a uh, uncle. Uh, he's the only uncle I have, or living uncle, uh, on my dad's side. It was my dad's brother, and he he fought. In the Korean War. Now, he was in the Army. Like I said earlier, my dad was in the United States Air Force. Right. Well, they got together. Somehow they got to be able to see one another and got together to spend a couple of days together. 
and then my uncle, uh, you know, Uncle Vincent. He, uh, uh, my Uncle Vince, uh, he don't like talking about it much, but when he does, it's going to be with me or somebody who's been there. Right. And he, he's a great guy. Yeah. But man, he don't like talking about it. It's very hard for him to talk. Yeah. About what he's been through. Mm. And he was, he was a grunt. He yeah. was on the ground. He was infantry. It was bad times there, man. So. What do you think the climate was the way it was when you got back? What 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 do you think led to that? And how did you feel about it? Well, it sucked, really. Yeah. You know, but it was going on in the 60s. You know, it was going on. Uh, it was going on all the way until 72 when I got back. So yeah. it was still going on. It wasn't pretty. Mm-hmm. It wasn't pretty for us. You know, they told us, don't wear uniforms home. Wow. Well, of course, I did. That's all I had. You know, I didn't have no civilian clothes to wear. Yeah. I had to wear, you know, especially if you're flying for the government and you're flying uh, under orders. Right, you got to wear yeah. a uniform. Right. So it was, it was, you know, it was no choice. You got to wear a uniform. Right. They got back and, you know, you think, wow, you know, wow, I feel good, you know, about serving. You, know, you get go to hell looks and people talking shit on your backs and, or to your face, you know, it's, it's sad. Yeah. Took off that uniform, started doing my thing, and one job to the next, and, man, it just wasn't easy. Nobody gave a shit. Yeah. Nobody cared about what we did, what I did. I'm not asking you to jump over and give me a hug, but my God, don't make me feel like I didn't do anything for my country. I'm proud of what I did for my country. Don't yeah. make me feel like shit. How did you, you know, you talked about bouncing from jobs and stuff and, you know, having a difficult time focusing. And, you know, was was that because of, you know, your role as a door gunner? Was that because of your time in the military? Do you think a lot of that impacted you over there? I think majority of it was when my own countrymen treated me like shit. Yeah. That's where the shit hit the fan for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. Hey, okay, Vietnam's bad. Uh, you know, I wanted to go. That's what they tell me. Yeah, well, you volunteered to go. Uh, yeah. you, it's your own fault. Eh, whatever, you yeah. know. But I can deal with it. Right. But I cannot deal with my own countrymen treating me and my fellow countrymen and, 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 and veterans like we didn't do nothing. Mm-hmm. We, 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 <laughs> That's bullshit. I mean, yeah. God dang, I just don't know what to say. It's like, hell, come on, man. Yeah, you did all you could. You did what you, you did were supposed could. to do. Duty. Hey, you know, we fought for your freedoms and your freedom and your freedom and your freedoms. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about their freedoms yeah. are being denied. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, that's your right. We fought for your freedom. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But don't, don't misuse mine. Don't take mine and Stomp on them. Don't stomp on my American flag. Don't stomp on my rights. And we'll get it wrong just fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not very many people seem to get that nowadays. It's no, like they when, don't. when no, you're, no. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, we've, we've got plenty that do and that I'm very proud of. And we've got a lot of followers uh, on the project that do that get it. Uh, but it takes education, a lot of that. And like sure. I was telling you earlier, 
I have all the respect in the world. If you don't have my political ideologies, if you respect our service members and you respect the jobs that they did, you don't even have to love the war. If you respect us and what we did, that's what it's all about. If you're educated, we give you the education through storytelling, through legacies. We tell you the stories and you still don't respect it, then that's when I got no use for you. You know, and, exactly. and and that's when I've got when we've got a problem. Yeah. And, you know, that problem gets scary. It does get scary. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's scary right now today. Yeah. That's pretty sad. But, uh, you know, this country ain't going down without a fight. Yeah, certainly not. That's a fact. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we've we're kind of on the live feed right now. And uh, Becca, she just said uh, she wanted to say to you, as for me and my house, we thank you. We care always. You know, you've got you got people that, you know, you got people out there. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's it's important, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, when you came back, the the climate was so was so hot and tumultuous that people don't really understand that unless they were there, you know, and you were in the middle of it. And and so what was that like for you, the, the mental struggle, you know, going between jobs and you know not being able to focus on those things? You know, how tough was that? It was very tough. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, man, I don't know how to explain it. It was pretty rough, but I had over 80 jobs since I got back to Vietnam. 80 jobs. 80 jobs. Wow. I never never could hold one, one job. It was, uh, pretty bad. Uh, you know, it, it was almost like the pat on the back kind of stuff. I don't need no pat on the back. If I work my butt off for you mm-hmm. and you pay me for what I'm worth, I don't want a pat on the back and I don't want you jumping my ass. Mm-hmm. Tell me what needs to be done and I'll do it. I could never find that right person, the the owner of a, a job or whatever that, that I was with to treat me that way. Yeah. Uh, and then I, then I met uh, a man called... Uh, Curly Johnson. <laughs> he was from San Antonio. They're still from San Antonio. He had uh, a plumbing company called Mr. Ruder. Okay. Yeah. 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 Heard so, of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I worked for him for six years. And that was a long time for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, you know he, he was a great guy. He knew how to treat his people. Mm. And I worked hard, you know, and then, man, even... Night shifts, uh, I had to, you know, put a little, uh, carry a little beeper. You know what one of the beeper is, right? Oh, yeah. No yeah, cell yeah, phones yeah. around here, right. man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had a little beeper and, you know, I'm 24-hour-7, man. And, you know, and just doing my bit. So yeah. then I did line work, eh? climbing uh, telephone poles. Here we are, you know, alignment for the county again. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. It's, to do that, I did that for three years, and uh, we built uh, most of San Antonio cable TV. Uh, wow! You know, running through backyards and climbing the next pole, and you know, doing the, the number there. So, but uh, eighty jobs is it have a lot of jobs when you realize that one person stays in one job for thirty years. You know, <laughs> like, wow, John. So yeah, I was, uh, you know, I'm sad about that part, but uh, I wasn't happy. And if you're not happy. With yeah. one job, then move on. Go to the next job until you find your happiness yeah. or yeah. find your following or, or your... Your passion. Your passion in yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, you know, so... 
I, you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, you were so rooted in, you know, service and doing what you did and becoming a door gunner and flying all those missions in Vietnam and having such an importance in your job. And then you come back in one of the most, you know, one of the greatest sacrifices you can make in signing up for that service and for volunteering on all those missions. And then you come back and people are ungrateful for that. That's got to just destroy your confidence. It did. I did. <laughs> uh, I had to find myself, and uh, I guess uh, not too long ago, I wanted to get back to my community, so I joined the MSD Memorial Service Detachment, Fort Sam Houston National Cemetery. Wow! And I put in ten years mm. as a rifleman, wow. as a driver, as a bugler. <laughs> oh, electronic bugler, but still, nevertheless, yeah. I. I served with them because I wanted to give back to my veterans, brothers and sisters that lost their lives, died after service. They're still veterans, and they deserve full military honors, and that's what we did. We gave them full military honors, and that's the three-round volleys from seven rifles and the sounding of taps. That's a full military honor. Mm-hmm. The, chill, the, the, the chills you get. Is every day I got unexplainable. It. Yeah, every uh, I served once a week every Tuesday wow. for ten years. I was even the webmaster. I built the website for him. Wow, yeah, sure did. <laughs> you found some purpose within this. Yeah, I yeah. did. I did. Yeah. See, and that's uh, I was giving back, but I was getting back. Yeah, and that's what it was all about. Isn't that amazing? How that selflessness gives you your greatest joy. Stepping into a position like that, it was. Yeah. What was really amazing was when I, I met my wife, yeah, Karen. Oh, I got to talk about Karen. Yeah, I yeah. got to talk about Karen. Yeah. <laughs> Karen's in the room with us. <laughs> she's probably turning Fifty Shades of Red right yeah, now, yeah, but that's yeah, okay. She is. Yeah. <laughs> but she's a great woman, and uh, she's always got my back. And uh, I remember the first time that uh, she got me a computer. Uh, you know, you're you're talking about uh, Windows 95. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the day. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, and uh, it was something else. I, you know, yeah. Windows 95. Hell, I thought I was doing pretty good. Man. <laughs> you're learning this computer stuff. Then I built my website for my military unit guys. Wow. Uh, 229th Old Helicopter Battalion. Built the website for him. It's been online for since 19. 19- uh, 98, mm-hmm. 97, 98, it's been online. It's brought together a lot of yeah, us, yeah. served with the unit, brought a lot of the uh, pilots and door gunners together that haven't seen one another since the war. It's brought guys together that worked on the aircraft, uh, the cooks, the mm-hmm. clerks, everybody. I mean, everybody. You know, there it is, man. Because yeah. I did a search back in 19... 19- you know, 97 or so, and uh, I didn't find anything about us. Wow. No. And we were one of the most, one of the most mm-hmm. highly decorated Army aviation units to be sent to the Vietnam War. Yeah. Fact. I believe it. You're talking about 1st Cav. You're talking about first lineage. Cab, yeah. Yes. The Real 229th lineage. was definitely uh, many awards. Yeah. And much sacrifice much sacrifice yeah 
So, you know, all the all the difficulty you had and you kind of found some sense of community in that and then meeting Karen, you know, how important has has your wife been to your mental health now and and having someone there for you? Very much. Yeah. It's it's uh I I I couldn't believe uh what it would be like without her. Yeah. Cuz she definitely she's my crutch. Yeah, and if I need to lean on someone, and I'm really having some hard times, she's there, and that's important to know that uh, that she always is. Mm. If you could, you know, we we had somebody else comment and uh, see Alex Wolf. He said, "Thank you for your service. Although I'm not from the U.S., I've been on I've been out in the field with U.S. Marines, and the support I've received from them has been amazing. What saddens me is how the government treats vets, and." Uh, you know, I think it's gotten way better for us. <laughs> you want to talk about that? You want to talk about how the government it treated has. It has. treated guys, you guys? But then again, it seems like maybe they're learning something. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe the people are griping enough to where, come on, wake up. What are you doing? You know, you can't do this to your veterans any longer. You know, you send them to fight a war and you come back. They come back and then you treat them like bull. Yeah. Can't do that anymore, man. You can't do that. And then you want to, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to name names, but you want to <laughs> take the veterans, what they deserve, what they fought for, their rights and their freedoms and their benefits. You, why would you want to take that away from them? Yeah. They earned that. But yet you can give someone who's coming across the border who's not even an American, and I'm not talking about just from Mexico. I'm talking about everybody. Mm-hmm. That comes across that border illegally, but yet you want to give them this and give them that. But yet we got homeless veterans out on the streets that are cold, hungry. They don't have a place to stay. And a lot of guys from your era. Yeah, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. In Korea, they're a little older, but still, nevertheless, they're still out there right. and they still need help. Yeah. And I just can't see that. I, I just, you know, it. it <sighs> And you felt a little bit about that, you know. You felt a little bit of that, you know. Eighty jobs in all that time, you know, bouncing from one thing to the oh, next. Yeah, yeah. It would probably be easy to go down that hole, right? Yeah, sure enough. I mean, if, you pre- if it wouldn't have been from my mother, and uh, my mother and my father separated, so it was just my mother and, and my sister and I. And uh, if it wouldn't have been for her, I would have been on the streets. Yeah, there are a lot of times where I was out of job going to the next job, whatever, I needed that help. Yeah. And she was there. That's amazing, the separation there, you know, in those positions. You know, I I had it too. You know, I had that support system there. But if you don't have that support system, it's so easy to get sucked into that cycle. You know, and I'm I'm speaking to an older brother here, you know, a Vietnam veteran. Uh, But we have that same, you know, transitional issue. If there's no network, if there's no community, if there's no support system, then how do you make the transition? How exactly. do you reintegrate back into society? It's hard to do. Yeah. Especially I mean, when... It's almost impossible. Almost impossible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're serving in a very structured environment, sure. you know, and you've got that structure. You've, it's all, you know, it's a government job in a way. You've got that structure there. You've got the food. You've got the schedule. You've got everything set out for you. You just do your job. It's your duty. And you're sitting to these challenging environments... And then you come back and it's like going, you know, 100 miles an hour to all of a sudden just stop. And then, oh, hey, you know, 
go get a job. <laughs> you know, or <laughs> makes me wonder what yeah. what changed there. Yeah, because that never happened in a million years. Did that ever happen when the World War II veterans came home? Yeah, that never happened. And don't let them say that. Oh, it did. Yeah, it never happened to them. There's no way in hell it happened to them. But what changed after that? That's where it got worse. Yeah. For the veterans coming home from other wars. What, what, what do you What do you think about that? You may not have the answer, but what What do you think changed? What do you think changed between World War II and in in Vietnam in the in the country? If I knew that, yeah, <laughs> that, you, you would have been able to figure it out. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I knew that, yeah. But uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened. Mm. And I can't really give you an answer. I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> I know you would. What uh, What would you say to civilians if you know if if you could say something to a civilian, maybe from that era, to kind of dispose of the myths and stereotypes that they thought about you guys? What What, what would you say to them? Don't be afraid of us. Yeah, we're just like you. Mm. We just did a job that others didn't want to do, but we still love you. Yeah. We love our country. We love you more than anybody else does. I feel that love. Yeah. I felt that empathy when I was over there, you know? I'm sure you felt that. Yeah. You you felt that sense of duty. Where did that sense of duty come from? Inner, within. Yeah. Empathy. I guess. Kind of lacking in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Nowadays. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was within. Yeah. Um, I guess you got to feel it. Uh, or bred into. Yeah. One it's of hard two. to teach. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to teach. Yeah. But here we go again. If we can learn from our mistakes, mm-hmm. we'll be better off as a society, as a country. Uh, if more people learn from their mistakes or our mistakes, it would be a better country. Not saying that our country sucks. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, <laughs> we still live in the be best one. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 We've got know, our imperfections. Exactly. We're still the best yeah. place on the planet. You know, yeah. it's just uh, if a hell of a lot more people yeah. appreciated this country, we'd be a lot better off. There's too many people in this country hate it. Mm. That's not right. Mm. That's not a way to go. If we keep going down that road, it's going to be sad. You know, Sad times. I've wondered about, there's almost a something about an ease in the way of life and how easy it is nowadays that kind of breeds complacency. And I think that complacency breeds a lot of issues that we haven't had before with complaining and not realizing what you have because you don't have that struggle. Like the, like the Great Depression, like that bred some sure. of our greatest yeah, warriors, exactly. you know, like yeah. that struggle was not there. It didn't really exist. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you have some, you know, you, you have an easier time and, you know, you've got your phone right in front of you. You got all the technology in the world surrounding you. And we got fun- mama's basement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pro- probably my favorite saying from you today. <laughs> you've had a lot of them, but that was yeah, good. Yeah. mama's basement. <laughs> you've got a fallback plan every which way. Yeah. <laughs> Gives you a lot of time to complain. Yeah, exactly. Johnny, what do you what do you think going forward really brought you kind of out of some of those, you know, darker places? What what were the things that helped you, you know, the most? I know that's a could that's be a, a long question. form question. Yeah, we could yeah. write a book together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you not have to really think about that one. That uh, 
we got all the time in the world, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It's just just, just being happy in your life and your in your family and uh, your dogs. You got we got six, so <laughs> that's our family. You know, yeah. we have no kids, so uh, and we live out in the country because we just we like it out here. We like the the beautiful mountains and yeah. uh, you know it's it's quiet out here, but uh, that's got a lot to do with your your sanity mm-hmm. and. Uh, do you think time has helped in seeing the attitude change too? Because you see, probably see a lot more gratefulness for veterans nowadays. Of course, it has changed. Has that helped you? Oh, yeah. Or does that make you kind of bitter about how you got treated? You know, back then. No, you know, I I'm past that point. Okay, I'm past that point. What, what I what I do see is I don't want to let it happen to any of the other ones. Mm. Whatever wars we fight again. Uh, let that happen to them. I, I don't want to have anything to do or see anybody treat our veterans the way we were treated. Okay, I'm past that point. And, uh, but I think the country has, has woke, woken up about that. Yeah. Uh, it's not been easy, but I have a lot of people come up to me and thank me for my service. I do wear my veterans cap a lot. I wear a t-shirt you now should. and then, you know. You should, yeah. Yeah, so... I always thank the Vietnam guys, and like yeah, even more so than any other guys. When I see a Vietnam veteran hat on, I am always quick to go up to them because I realize they didn't have it for so long. I do it for others uh, from the other wars, and it's almost like they're not used to it. <laughs> they really aren't. Yeah, I had a, a Korean veteran. I went up and I, I, I said, "Thank you for your service." He, he really didn't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, he really, he really didn't. Yeah, yeah, and it's sad. You know, maybe there's not enough people thanking them. I don't know. What uh, would you say to a civilian that has trouble with that, you know, asking that or saying that to a veteran? Because, you know, a lot of civilians want to, I think. They just feel intimidated. Oh, don't let that. No, don't yeah. let that stop you. Yeah. If you feel that you want to thank that person for their service, by all means, thank them. You'll make him feel a lot or her a lot better if you do. And you know what? You'll feel good that you did. Yeah. And just know that if, you know, they handle it awkwardly or, you know, they're not quite sure how to what to say, that it's probably because you put them in a good place. You know, they're like, well, I don't know how to handle this. You know, like that's exactly that's difficult. You know, it, it, when you're not thanked very often, you kind of it's like, well, well, I appreciate that. Like I, you know, I had one of the World War Two Iwo Jima veterans say to me, I said, how do you respond to that when somebody says says that to you? And I say, we say, I tell them. It was a privilege that I got to fight for my country. Sure. I was like, wow. So now I say that because I thought, you know what? That's really good. And I am very proud that I fought. I'm very proud that I went to oh, Iraq. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And why shouldn't I be? Oh, yeah. And you can't make me not feel good about that. You know, I'm proud that I served the brotherhood amongst all else. You know, my brother's overseas. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, we can we can all learn from that Iwo Jima veteran statement. You know, it's very powerful. You know, moving forward, what do you enjoy the most now? You know, what 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 gives you the most joy in life now in, in where you're currently at in life? <laughs> Every day. Yeah. Every day. Just being alive? Just being alive. Every day that, that I wake up and I take a breath. And I, I, when I go to night, go to bed at night, I, I thank God for one more day. Every night. Wow. Without fail, if I can help it, you know, and, and then, you know, you, I thank God for 
that beautiful lady. <laughs> My wife is. That's a big help. She's always been there for me, man. And, yeah. You know, that's. I thank God. You know. That's awesome. I, I just. Uh, I don't know how to. <clears throat> to really answer that one yeah that's a tough one i'm very happy you know with my life sure i have my days and i'm sad and depressed and i wake up the next day and maybe it's a little bit better yeah or maybe it's a hell of a lot better <laughs> but that's that's the joy of just it. living day to day living day by day yeah yeah what you know what would you say to your brothers if you know you had some of those guys sitting around you you know those men who served who you served with overseas that great fraternal bond what would you say to those men? Welcome home. Welcome home and uh, talk about it, man. Come yeah. on. Come on. Share it with your brothers. How long did it take you? <laughs> did it take you a while? Did you feel comfortable with it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. It wasn't until um, about the 1980s, about 1985 to be exact, where we started coming out in San Antonio wearing our veteran caps or mm-hmm. uh, OX military uniforms, uh, you know, whatever. Just And, and to get out and uh, be part of uh, something. And we got together in San Antonio and started a group called Alamoria Vietnam Veterans. Mm, I've heard of that. And they, yeah. That started it all for us. Wow. And we were part of that. And uh, we were part of uh, actually making, uh, raising money for the statue and memorial of Hill 881 South okay. in San Antonio. We're wow. a big part of that. In fact, my name's in that, underneath that memorial. Really? Wow. We all put our names on a piece of paper and, and the, uh, up underneath there. That's awesome. Like it's going to be moved anytime. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> may never see it, yeah, but you yeah. know it's there. Yeah. yeah. You never know. So, But yeah, that's, uh, we all got together and, and that's I guess that's what started it. So It's interesting to me to think about a dynamic in San Antonio where it wasn't always positive either that's weird to think about military city is a usa still having a little bit of struggle here with that a little bit yeah uh, you know it uh you know being with the uh the honor guard there at fort sam houston uh, national cemetery it was you know every year you know it, uh, veterans day and memorial day they'd always get together and they'd always have a service for uh that day and to honor the veterans uh seemed like the same 250 people showed up. I mean, come on. You're talking about a military city. Wake up. Come on. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Look at all the bases you have here. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. It, uh, I don't know. I can never understand that. Uh, what, what are your greatest goals moving forward? How, how do you want people to, you know, to remember Johnny Hubs? You know, we talk about legacy a lot on this podcast. And legacy is a massive one because, you know, at the end of the day, really what we have are the memories. And, you know, the, that's what we put into history and that's what we give to our future generations. If we don't properly capture that, you know, I think about it all the time with these massive battles and wars caught and showing through History Channel and all that. But it can be very, you know, you, you have to tell it from the individual side. You have to tell, talk about the individual who was there in that space, in time, from their mouth. And that's why, you know, we're so big on that with the Veterans Project is you know, taking your words, putting them out there so people can know what the actual experience was like, you know? So we talk about legacy all the time. What for you do you want to be remembered as your legacy? That I was a proud veteran. I was proud to serve my country. I love my country. And I would never change anything 
other than just being proud of your veterans that serve yeah. their country to keep it safe. So you can be safe at night with your families and go to sleep without worrying about the battles that they've seen. They don't want to have that happen here in the ESA. So if if we can go to battle and fight for the freedoms that you have today, respect that. You know, just just remember, just remember that the veterans that, that serve this country. That that's all. I, I'm proud of what I did. Nobody can ever take that away. No matter how bad you are to me, <laughs> how you treat me, you can never take what I learned. Yeah. And what I did for this country away. Very true. Because I won't let you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't strike me as a safe move. <laughs> it's the truth, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'll man. be right here with you fighting. Yeah, yeah, brother. Uh, so, you know, when you when you talk, think about reintegration, you know, a lot of guys struggle with reintegration even now. Um, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan. What what would you say to those that are struggling? I know indiv- every individual's trial is different, obviously. What would you say to them about, you know, what you learned from coming back? If you, if you could teach them a lesson off of that, you know, you obviously struggled. You know, you had 80 jobs. You went back and forth between school and not school. What would you tell them about, you know, learning and, and what, what they should do in coming back in space? Never give up. Never give in. And don't take your own life. It's not worth it. We want you here. We love to have you here. And please don't take it away. Because there's people that love you. And if you take your own life. What are you leaving? You're leaving something behind. A legacy of pain. A legacy of pain and suffering. Yeah. I felt you might take away that pain for you for that moment and you're gone, but it takes a hell of a person to stand up and fight and keep fighting to survive. I don't know how to explain it. That's the truth. Yeah. I felt it's too easy to, and I've been there, man. Yeah. I've been there a couple times, and it would have been easy. And I'm glad that I'm still here. Yeah, you know, if if I'd have went other ways about it, yeah, I probably wouldn't be here. But uh, I would just say, never give up. Just don't give up. Please don't give up. Yeah, I, I've seen that. You know, my my I talk about him often, but my best friend from my unit, you know, Carter Chick. Uh, you know, he took his own life a few years ago. Sorry, and. Uh, I uh but I use that now as my drive to light within this work. That's my edge. That's sure. what keeps the fires sure. burning. Sure. I tell people all the time, you're not going to beat me on my passion. Sure. Because that man gave me my passion. Sure. He was a great leader, served in the Marine Corps, went to Somalia, uh did Mogadishu, and then served in the army, did four or five tours of Iraq. You now my tour was his last tour. And um I'm struck by how much pain I saw him in when I got back. And, you know, the seemingly old warrior, the man that I had seen as the warfighter, this strong symbol of strength, Texan strength, a true Texan, one of the most true Texans I've ever met. And just a guy, an old ball coach, guy you would not give any trouble to. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Especially a Marine. Yeah, yeah. Just a tough, hard guy. And, uh, you know, I remember his leadership and that fact that he would always take the flack for his men under him. Always. That was his style. He would. It didn't matter if a guy was doing something stupid. He would say, ah, that was my fault. I, I, I told him to do that or whatever. Just sure. wouldn't care. 
And as a result, he was, uh, you know, he he picked up rank very slowly, <laughs> but uh, very slowly. Yeah. But uh, he he was an incredible man, incredible leader. And I remember, you know, some of those last moments and seeing how much pain he was in, and all the alcohol consumption, and you know the the constant, you know, he was he was taking like 110, 115 pills a day Ooh, um, under his prescription load. You know, I've got this one image of him with his pill bottle stacked in front of him. Oh, it's been out there for a while but i i remember you know his just thinking to myself like he's he's not going to make it we had these conversations weekly you know where he was in pain constantly and i tried but at the end of the day you know he just i knew he was committed to it you know and that pain that i saw was constant you see that a lot with the vietnam veterans you know and and losing that armor right losing that shell sure. losing that Losing that purpose, coming back, and not only that, and then getting you know spit on and yelled at. So I, I understand when I hear those statistics, why they are where they are with you guys. Because not only did you struggle, but then you got treated terribly when you came back within that struggle. It's already hard having to do what you had to do. So I just say all that to say that I appreciate you for sticking around. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Because we need these stories. And without you staying here, you know, Carter Chick, if he hadn't told the story of the Veterans Project, I wouldn't know all that he went through. I would have no idea. I wouldn't know about that, you know, that about that, you know, little girl that he had to take out in Somalia and still suffer from that because she pointed a gun at his Marines. I wouldn't know about the struggles that he had. But because he told his story, he left a legacy. And, you know, that part of that legacy became painful. Uh, but I just, you know, I wish I could scream out to the guys like you did, you know, here, don't do it. But you are. Yeah. But you are, really, you are. What you're doing right now, you're screaming out right now. Mm-hmm. Because you're interviewing people, you know. You guys teach the lessons. You, you, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you know, you're. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's it. Uh, well, I appreciate what you're doing. Man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's. I mean, for me, it's such an honor to sit down with you guys and talk to you guys. You know, I was always taught that from a very young age, you know, by my dad. Like, you know, show all those guys the respect in the world. They got treated terribly. Always shake their hands. Always thank them and mean it. Mean it when yeah, you thank yeah. them, you know. And so that has a sense that that's a massive sense of purpose for me. But, uh, you know, Johnny, I've known you for a while now. We've been uh facebook buddies <laughs> yeah, yeah right <laughs> I, I finally made my way out here it's like yeah. 30 minutes away from my house i had no i didn't realize how close you were but uh it's you know long long time friends now cool. and uh, i just want to say that i appreciate you and i appreciate you coming on the podcast and speaking to me honestly from thank you for having me i yeah. thank you for telling my story yeah well i appreciate you telling it so this has been another episode of the veterans project podcast johnny hubs door gunner vietnam uh, and what's the what's the name of the film again? It's Stack Deck, right? Stack Deck, Journey of a Sky Trooper. Journey of a Sky Trooper. And I'm going to provide a link to that um, in the podcast description so people can see that too because that was a powerfully done film. My buddy yes, Je- uh, Jesse Phillips is one of my best friends and uh, I, I actually just had him on the podcast a couple months ago. Cool. Um, you know, all those guys, those guys are awesome. So we'll leave a link to that. Uh, but listen to this podcast and uh, enjoy the words of a Vietnam door gunner, you know, who, who did struggle, who did have a tough time coming back and who has made it through that and is uh, now accomplishing great things for us now. So we appreciate you, Johnny. Thank you for coming Thank on. You. Appreciate that. Yeah. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. 
check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.